Hello, Dim Light Squad! Welcome to the next episode of DDR, the podcast all about our favorite drow, Drizzt DeWerden. My name is Justin, and in this episode, we'll be reviewing Chapter 10 of Homeland, titled Stain of Blood, discussing all of our favorite plot points, characters, and more. And my name is Jeffrey. One of the things that we like to do is use our love for Dungeons & Dragons to discuss how some parts of these chapters compare to the tabletop game that we like to play. Following along with the show is easy. Just grab a copy of the book, read the next chapter, and tune in every week. But remember, we want to hear your thoughts too, so make sure you reach out to us at drizdunright at gmail.com. Speaking about emails, I wanted to say, that, um, I wanted to say thank you to Ramsey's um, last week, when we finished recording, he sent us such a nice email. I think I have it pulled up here, but basically he was just saying, you know, like, I found your podcast via uh, hashtag Drizzed on Instagram. So thanks, Jeffrey, for putting that out there. You, you're so much better at social media than I am. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, he sat down and he just binged all first eight episodes. Uh, then we saw him on the Discord. He's Ramsey's. He discovered um, uh, Drizzt, the, these books, uh, very similarly to how you did, Jeffrey, actually. He he um, found them when he was, he was introduced to them when he was in the army in, in uh, 92. So how cool is that? How cool is that? It's, it's always kind of mind-blowing, you know, like when we sat down to start this and uh, started talking about our own experiences and like what we get into and why we enjoy this, mm-hmm. to have people who we've never met, um, you know, maybe just interacted with a little bit here, there, or sometimes complete strangers, like it was in the case of Ramsey's to reach out and say, Hey, look, this is my story. It's similar in this way. And, uh, to see the kind of things that bring us together. I kind of think that's awesome. That's very cool. So again, you can email just like Ramsey's did at drizdunright, uh, at gmail.com. But, uh, Jeffrey, where else can they go? I think I kind of already mentioned it. Oh, that they, they can be part of the ongoing discussion in our very own Drizzt Dunright Discord. There we, we were go. talking about with uh, Ramsey getting uh, jumping into it and becoming a part of the show. This uh, Discord invitation link is linked inside the podcast description. If you guys bring up an interesting point about the chapter, might just bring you up on our show. Speaking of which, just wanted to say thank you to all of the new members that we've had of our Dim Light Squad. We have Anna 56 ALP, uh, Ramsey's again, Luna Blue 3. Blondie, beware! Stitch witch. How do you how do you think you say this one? Uh, shart. I think you got it right. Charterum. 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 That's that's where I'm going with it. It's either that or like carturum, right? Carturum. And okay. and kales. kales. Not the vegetable. Kales. <laughs> Can you believe that we're sitting at almost sixty members of the Dim Light Squad? That's wild. That is wild. Like, at, at any moment, we actually have more members than a professional football team is allowed to dress. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> right? Go to the Super Bowl. <laughs> the under dark Menzo Barons and Bowl. Thank you to everybody. Special thank you to our house nobles who do a great job of keeping everything flowing and moving in the Discord oh, like that. Man, they do such a good job. Uh, like I said last week, it's it's so hard for me to get on there and keep up with the discussion just because it's like I go on there and there's just multiple conversations that have happened and I'm reading through that. And by the time I get through that, I... I need to move on with my day, you know, like I don't have a chance to really like jump in there and participate. But, uh, Sevik and I actually had a decent conversation right before we, uh, started recording here, just talking about what, what was it? Uh, he said he was wondering if, um, if Drizzt was a bard 
Like, or, or no, no, no. What did he say? Shoot, I'm like looking for it here, but I was at the wrong place. Because <laughs> um, he was uh, him and our tremis. Yeah, were, uh, they so have such high dexterity. Yep. So it's just Whether like they do like a piano or a bard or like yeah. It's like would they make really legendary bards? And it's like I'm totally convinced that Drizzt would make an amazing bard. Absolutely. Like, but what would he play? I'm just like scimitars, something with scimitars. And, uh, hey, you know, like, there's that uh, instrument where you have a saw and you bend it and you kind of play it like a violin and it's a really weird sounding thing, but... Right. Then... Maybe he's a harp player, you know, but it's made out of, you know, the bones of his enemies. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Sevik went on to say, like, oh, no, they would he would totally just, like, um, be rocking two guitars just like... Um, they would be rocking two guitars just like uh, Andy McKee and Don Ross... I was not, uh, I'm not familiar with those with uh, Andy McKee and Don Ross, but I quickly pulled them up on YouTube, and I'm like, yes, yes, that's totally how they would. I am also not familiar with them, and we'll have to check that out. (laughs) Yeah, definitely do. They're they're um, just rocking on the acoustic guitars, and you know they're not playing chords like I do, Jeffrey. (laughs) That's all I can do. They don't shred, but that's okay. (laughs) I like to rock. Yeah, cool. So, what's new this week, Jeffrey? Not a whole lot. We uh, we got to go out and go see a movie. Got to go see Chidi's popping in to say hello. Yeah, we got to see her. the movie uh, Knock at the Cabin with uh, Dave Batista, M Night Shyamalan movie, also starring Rupert Grint. Okay, okay. So that was that was fun. It's a uh, you know it's a, he he does uh, like thriller movies, like right, where it's right. not like horror, where you know it's jump scares and. Right. And everything like that, but it's those ones that kind of like pull at your mind a little bit. Those are fun. Those are a lot of fun. Yeah, he's um, had some really stinkers, but oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, some like Lady in the Water. It was not one of my favorites. Oh, uh, okay. But uh, this was a pretty good one, I believe. Okay. Oh, good. So it's always fun for me to go out. I, I enjoy like going to the cinema, seeing the movie, yeah, seeing it on the big screen. Yeah. Like it's just part of my childhood, I guess, that I really enjoy tapping back well, into. You, so. you step in those doors and you just smell the popcorn, and you're back in, you know, your teenage years, going oh, on, yeah. going to a double feature, you know. <laughs> like James Cameron says, it's part of. Uh, you know, the, the deal we make with ourselves where we like to go out and once you walk through those doors, you're willing to drop the the suspension of disbelief, the willing suspension of disbelief. It's, uh, you know, where they talk about with cinema and theater where you, you walk into it and you know that what you're about to see isn't real, mm-hmm. but you're going to leave all of that suspect stuff at the door yeah. and sit down and just be entertained. And there's right. just something about that that I really enjoy. Absolutely. Yeah. Hence yeah. why the other podcast I do is Robert and Robin's Radio doing the the 80s and 90s all about movies when when uh you know we're growing up and everything you know it was i was born in 88 but you know a lot of those movies i still like grew up with just because it was like what we had on vhs at home you know and so uh i've really been enjoying listening to your other podcast um yeah and sarah and i were thinking about going to we haven't had a date in a while and so we're like oh what are we gonna do like we should do something before my formal classes start at my new job and so we were going to go to the movies this weekend, but then um, we're just like, hey, we never go to Lancaster City and just like go in the city and like do some fun stuff. So we're going out to eat at a at an Irish pub. And then um, and then she came up with this. And just to show you that my wife is the coolest, she found and wants to go to a virtual reality lounge. 
Oh, that's neat. I don't I, know what you would do really with that, but it's like that that's kind of cool. You go there, you put on your headset and you're in VR and you you just get to play games. You rent you can rent it for oh, like okay. for like 30 minutes or an hour. And I was like, "Uh, we don't know if you're going to like it. Just do like 30 minutes." He's like, "No, you really want to do it? We'll do an hour." I'm just like, "My wife's the coolest." Right? That's where you hit her with the <laughs> with the hard hands. <laughs> We're uh, we're looking at doing an escape room, hopefully coming up because they have a Harry nice. Potter themed escape room. Like me and Elizabeth no love way. escape rooms. Yeah, where's that so at? Like, I guess like it's well, it's just at the regular. Uh, I, I can't remember off the top of my head what the the chain is called, but okay. the the escape room is just running a Harry Potter themed one. So they'll probably change uh, words and stuff in it, so right. it's not infringing upon the trademark of uh the, the wizarding world gotcha okay all right i got gotcha. <laughs> that's so still really cool for those kind of things yeah that's like they held cool. a um a harry potter day two years ago in ellicott city which was like a, a an old flood place like a old town that got flooded that uh it isn't too far from where i live and okay. <clears throat> they they had the, all these people walking up and down the streets in the robes the all the people uh the shops that are on the roadside kind of uh-huh. kicked in and contributed like having special sales and themes oh that's really for, cool like, you know food and things like that it was, it was fun yeah was fun. that's cool awesome like to let the nerd flag fly a little bit <laughs> you gotta you gotta <laughs> yeah those are the things i think that bring a lot of joy when you're willing to again sus- set down that suspension of disbelief yep. You know, yep. when you walk around all day long and you have to confront the reality of, uh, you know, the brake pedal stops the car. I have to get up and go here. These things are adulting and I must do them. Yep. That's where you got to kind of take it all seriously. But when you're ready to be entertained, you just got to drop it, sit back, <laughs> you know, let the let the window down, your hair out and feel the breeze. <laughs> all right. So. Talk, talking about feeling the breeze, Jeffrey, how about we get this uh, show on the road and stick our heads out and uh... <laughs> and yeah. Get this uh, show on the road. Now it's time where we're going to give you the Drizzed. The Drizzed is the part of the show where we're going to take a look at this week's chapter and give you the Drizzed of it. Love the name Stain of Blood. Stain of Blood. just jumps at you, right? Yeah, like, who's getting stabbed? <laughs> like, we just watched an entire house get eaten, and now you call something Stain of Blood? <laughs> <laughs> Can't get worse than the house getting eaten, right? (laughs) We will see. So as soon as we enter the chapter, we learn that their plans are afoot. Zach, Nefane, and Risen have been sent to the Academy, leaving Matron Malice, Breeza, and Maya at home with Drizzt. We learn that there's been a deception plan, one originally meant for Zach, Nefane over 400 years ago, but it was sidetracked by the unexpected death of Matron Vartha? I think is how you say it. Yeah, Vartha. Uh, Matron Malice's mother. Yeah. Tough times visited House Doerden as a young Malice was forced to take over as Matron before she had passed even a hundred years of age. So, like that's kind of crazy when you think about it, right? Because right. like they expect him to live about seven hundred years. Yep. And so you go through all of your training and everything in your first, say what, fifty, sixty years, mm-hmm. essentially. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. right yeah. after she had maybe attained her high priesthood, started on the path forward of a young and promising Drow priestess. Boom, she has to take over a house and lead them. Right. Not from and, the bottom to the top, but to ascend past their place. Yeah. And this kind of um, builds off of our conversation from last episode where we were wondering, like, what does it take for that, uh, like, the eldest daughter to take over the house? It's, well, here, Matron Mother died. 
We didn't learn how, though, did we? I guess maybe we do later. I don't know. Possibly. I may have also skipped into a, just a little bit of the summary part of that and missed it. I'm not really sure exactly how the mother, when they talk I, about her dying. I don't, I don't think they talk about it. But, yeah, I think that's the first situation where we heard of a new matron mother taking over a house, right? Yeah, and it's like we were talking in the uh, Discord earlier, trying to find out, like, well, didn't this, like, Breeza branch off, start her own house at some point when she right. feels she's ready? If uh, Matron Malice goes on to be, uh, you know, Matron Bain, right, who is a thousand? Right. You know, like, she still has 18 priestesses in her family, so yeah. are they just not allowed to start a bigger house if she's the one that oversees it? Like, how do you add a house to become 65 right. in House Menzo Berenson? Maybe you can't. <laughs> like is there only 64 spots and like who takes over that space you know it's it's, it's an yeah. interesting discussion that 60, i hope we can dive deeper into as 60, we go along yeah 64 is a nice number what is that two to the eighth power <laughs> well it breaks down in uh, college basketball brackets really <laughs> right <laughs> so the turmoil of all this time required the uh all of the attention and focus of major malice and zach and was allowed to go untested but drizzed will not be so lucky the drow women discussed how Drizzt watched the justice visited upon House Tekendui last chapter, the revulsion that was clear on his face, and how unbecoming this was for a drow warrior. Time was growing short until Drizzt would be sent to the academy, and Matron Malice believes that this is that it is time to stain his hands with blood and steal his innocence. Mm. It's another chilling frame there. Yeah. Breeza wonders if this is too much trouble for a male child. Perhaps the sacrifice would be easier. But Matron Malice will not be questioned. She proclaims that she will bear no more children and every piece of house to Worden would be needed to achieve the goals that she has in mind for their rise. The added benefit of stealing Drizzt's innocence was the distress that it would cause Zagnafane to see his most prominent student, his son, indoctrinated properly into the ways of the drow. Mm -hmm. Justin, this is another nature versus nurture moment for the psychology lovers out there, but uh, is, is Drizzt a product of his upbringing or his bloodline? Like, what do you think? I have to, I, I can't help but think that it's more nature at this point. I mean, I guess he has been kind of like coached by Zachnafane for, for a long time now. Yep. But I mean, and his, his sister Vierna had such an influence over him when he was really young. You would, you would have thought that that would have instilled some kind mother. of, <laughs> uh, you would, you would think that that would have instilled some hostility in his personality but um it i don't know he he did seem a lot like zacnafane even back then i agree so i don't know i'm thinking at this point it's really the nature taking over and the nurture is about to kick in <laughs> i agree <laughs> I, uh, I think that I, I agree because uh you know when you look at it and we'll continue to go through this you know back and forth as the yeah. book goes on yeah and we're presented with more and more facts to look at right. but i agree everything we've seen so far he's always had that innocent nature mm -hmm. to him that little childish naivety that they talk about right and i'm just not sure it's present in somebody like Brisa, or you know we haven't really met a whole lot of other people yeah but risen i don't i don't think so no uh, you know no he's he's i don't know like how would you they just walk all over him you know like he's yeah you know? Well, he's a prototypical male right. drought. Right. And that's where it's like, you know, with the, the way that they breed and everything else. So far, I got to say nature's taking it to me. Yeah. So then 
Why do you think Matron Malice dislikes Zach Nefane so much, even though she's obviously attracted to him? Oh, man. Maybe that's one of those things where it's just like, he's different. I don't know. Like, you know, like so he's like the action star in the movie where you got the sunglasses on and the hair waving. Like he's just different. <laughs> no, I, oh, I don't even know how to describe it. I should have read your question before you asked it. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I just feel like it's one of those things where it's, he, she's just like, this guy is horrible. He's, he's not like any other male drow. He doesn't understand our customs, blah, 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 blah. I love him. <laughs> I was just like... <laughs> See, I, I think it's it's got something to do with, again, like the psychology of the character. But I think that, you know, with the, the female drow being the one they're in charge, they're the ones that are able to select who they breed with. So even though she's, you know, uh, risen as the patriarch at that time, mm-hmm. she's still, you know, mating with Zagnafane. And I think it's because his stock is so superior. Like, he's the best weapons master. That's a good he call. Is, yeah, you know, a physically fit, and he's the better know, specimen. Everything you want him to be, other than his mental Taoism, right. Right? right? His moral compass. And I think that the fact that he makes her set aside that that blind blind devotion that she has towards Loth and the gain of the house, mm-hmm. that she really hates him for it. Right. You know, yeah. if he could just be like you know, great stock and spineless like Risen, right. great, we'd be awesome. But the fact that you know, you're so much different and such a pain in the butt. I really hate the fact that I love you. But I, I feel like if he was as spineless as Risen, he would not make a good weapons master. No, pro- you no, know, pro- like- <laughs> although Risen is supposed to be a good swordsman, you know, yeah, or at least okay. an, an, right. an adequate one. Well, we'll see, maybe. <laughs> so from the other room comes a large chest and it walks in on its own, supported by eight animated spider legs. With a nervous goblin named Biyak Yuck. That's what I'm going with. How do you think it is? I was thinking Biyak Yuck. Okay, sort that's probably like a... right, knowing the guttural goblin. <laughs> yeah, name. exactly. Biyak Yuck. But when I read it, I think Biyak Yuck. Biyak Yuck, Yuck, Yuck. <laughs> and, I, you know, this is one of those things that in a D&D campaign, he becomes an NPC that you fall in love with. Oh, totally. Absolutely. You know, you, you don't plan for it. You just put him in. What's his name? Biyak Biyak. Oh, uh... I want to ask him a question. What? Why? And the next thing you know, he's the most favorite character. Right. It's like, as a DM, you're like, I didn't even prepare a voice for this guy. (laughs) (laughs) So, Byakyuk is a slave and eager to please. He answers a summons to Matron Malice and looks fondly upon the changes of his body as she casts a spell, which turns him into a male drow warrior. Mm -hmm. He can't help but be pleased by his change of fortune. He doesn't realize that the spell doesn't give him any of the benefits of being a drow and essentially just turns him into like a paper tiger. (laughs) He looks threatening, but in reality is still the same hapless individual that he was before the spell. Mm -hmm. Poor, 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 (laughs) Maya and Brisa admire the skill of their mother. Maya proclaims that Yuck is a drow warrior, her champion and tells him that he must only kill a single inferior fighter to take his place as a free commoner of House Deward. Ten years of servitude made Yuck Yuck only hear the promise. Too careless to consider the peril. Yeah, just... You would think after ten years he would see right through that, but I guess goblins aren't too intelligent. He must have failed that DCZ. Well, Well, that or... 
Well, no, he he seems like he's bought into it. He he's not looking at. There's no proof that he's looking at it. Just like, well, this is my way out. You know, like right. that I'm either gonna be free or dead and free a different way. But um, ready to enter the gladiator ring. Right. I could see that. So then they all proceed to the practice room where Drizzt is polishing the razor sharp edges of his scimitars. Matron Malice greets Drizzt in a motherly manner, which strikes him as odd. <laughs> There's a test that he must face before his acceptance into Melee Magthir. Maya strides forward, being the youngest, decides Drizzt. She claims the right of challenge, which we haven't mm. heard anything of before. Right. From the animated chest, Maya presents Drizzt with new magical boots that fit themselves snugly to his feet. They would give him the gift of stealth. She draped this chainmail over him. It's a gift even more impressive. It's lightweight and beautiful, but also strong enough to deflect the tip of a spear as surely as dwarven-made plate mail. It's a drow-made chainmail. They, they say it's, it's top-of-the-art craftsmanship. Right? Yeah, I would think that it would look almost like mithril. That's that, what like, I see in that, my like, head. I don't know if right. they use the same term, but that shiny elven right. metal. Yep. The final gift that she presents him with is a jeweled belt with scabbards even more ornate for his scimitars. These gifts must be earned. Prepare yourself. So the matron Malice moves besides Byuk-Yuk, who is showing a bit of nerves as he laid eyes on Drizzt. She assured him that after this easy kill, the goblin will receive all of those fancy gifts. To the victor goes the spoils. Mm. Byuk-Yuk, blinded with the promise of fancy baubles, didn't realize that there was no chance that he would be the victor. Maya announces Byuk Byuk as her champion. Only through defeat would Drizzt earn his proper place in his family. Drizzt looked to the defensive to try to gauge the measure of his opponent, but quickly realized the skill level of his champion was far below where he expected Drow Warrior to be. Mm-hmm. Off, off balance and inept, Byuk Byuk continued to press forward, and Drizzt quickly slapped the sword from his hand, brought the scimitar up to the chest, halting right before the killing blow in a display of grace and victory. Priesta throws a spell that freezes the goblin in place. Matron Malice demands that Drizzt is going to have to finish the strike. Drizzt hesitates because, I mean, he knows this is wrong, mm-hmm. right? You can't just kill a defenseless Malice. Kill! Matron Malice screams the word, and it carries magical weight. The thrust commands... <clears throat> thrust commands Brisa, and Drizzt feels his hand begin to defy his own commands. It's wrong to kill a hapless foe. Kill! Strike! The words are screamed at him again, and several agonizing moments pass until he can resist no longer. His willpower breaks, and the scimitar slides between the ribs and stills Byuk Byuk's heart, Byuk Yuk's heart, forevermore. Poor, poor Byuk Yuk. <laughs> Drizzt is filled with disgust as he watches the drow die at his hands, because he doesn't see the goblin. Filled with his disgust, he can't find his breath. He's fixated on this blood-stained weapon. He never saw Maya strike as she lashes out with her mace and clips his shoulder. <clears throat> Triz rolls back to his feet, away from the enraged sister before he can drop his weapons. Major Malice seems to know what he's thinking and warns him that if he doesn't fight, Maya's going to kill him. Triz protests, but they're lost in the noise as he's forced to parry and defend his sister's heavy blows. A dizzying display of dancing scimitars filled Brisa and Maya with awe. But Matron Malice hardly seemed to notice as she was in the midst of another mighty spell. Drizzt stayed defensive in his moves, hoping for sanity to return to his family and for all of this to stop. He hoped to put his sister in a defenseless position to force an end to this madness. 
He manages to work inside her defenses and even nicks her upon the breast, forcing her backwards. And suddenly Matron Malice releases the spell and catches his weapon. Turns it into a fanged viper, which spits venom into his eyes and blinds him. That's crazy. Yeah. Like, yeah. Just to think of what's got to be going through his mind as everything is crumbling and around him. And now even his own weapon just turns around and blinds him. Right. The next thing he felt was the fangs of Breeze's six-headed serpent whip bite into his back, striking him over and over again as he crumbled down in agony. Never strike a drow female was the last thing he heard as Breeze screamed at him while he slid into unconsciousness. When he awoke, Matron Malice was there. He still felt the sting and the pain from the beating, a lesson to reinforce the ways of the drow. What hurt worse was the vivid image of blood that still stained his scimitar. Matron Malice got up to leave and let him know that he was now a drow warrior. In a different room at a later time, we find Zagnafane protesting before Matron Malice, asking her not to send Drizzt to the academy, knowing that their ways of indoctrination will ruin the child and his more gentle nature. Matron Malice sat on her throne, flanked by her daughters, in a position of power above him. He's a drow fighter. These are our ways. He will go to the academy. Zack felt helpless inside the chapel anteroom, surrounded by sculptures and imagery dedicated to the Spider Queen. He continued to try to find a way out of this, explaining that he's trained the boy to be better than half of those in the academy, and given another two years, he could train him to be the finest swordsman in all the men's appearances. Matron Ballas won't budge. There's more to the making of a drow warrior than skill with weapons. There are other lessons that need to be learned. Zach Nefane knew what Malice and her daughters had put Triz through. He knew the lessons to be of treachery, aimed to steal the, the ideals the boy held so dear. Those morals and principles would be even harder to cling to now that they had removed the purity from the boy. Major Malice warns Zach to watch his tongue. But he argues that the very passion she scorns is why he fights so well, why he wins, and why her son will fight and win as well. The conformity of the academy will rob him of his passion. Major Malice sends away her daughters. Zach Nefane imagines himself using the sword to remove Breeza's smug smile. <laughs> but Matron Malice demands his attention. And you know that that's not idle thought by Zach, right? Because we saw that in the, the first chapter, the second chapter. He uh, really enjoys striking down drop priestesses. The yeah. higher, the better. Right. And one's in his own house. He probably wouldn't hesitate. <laughs> not even a little. Malice demands his attention. She has tolerated his blasphemous beliefs only because of his skills with weapons. The way he trained her soldiers, his love of killing drow, particularly the clerics of Lolth, mm -hmm. had aided in the ascent of House Dewarden. And even though she is not ungrateful, she says if this continues to show, if he continues to show such disregard to her authority and station, then she will no longer turn a blind eye toward his missteps. She will sacrifice him to Lolth. Mm -hmm. This chapter is full of those chilling moments like that. Like yeah. again, the bloodstained saber, the, the the wording of it, and then like. She yeah. would just turns to him like, look, I will sacrifice you in a heartbeat, yeah. literally. And I think the last part that you're about to get to is also just very, just like harkens back 20 years prior, just something that Zach is still thinking about. Yeah. Zach turns and walks away, haunted by the screams of the dying children from House Devere. But he ponders whether or not they were the lucky ones, that they never got the chance to witness the evils of the Drow Academy. Perhaps they were better off dead. Like that's the part, like in the movie where they have the, the you know the half of uh, the fadeaway scene. You get to see yep. into the background of it. It's like oh, uh, that 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 imagery haunts him. Yeah. At every turn. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh man, Jeffrey, this um, could you imagine being put in a position like Drizzt was? I mean, Bjorkjok really got the pointy end of the sword, like yeah, literally. But I mean, Drizzt then had to fight Maya, or else he was gonna die. Yep. But then he couldn't actually strike her because you don't strike a female drought like. How could this have ended well for him? It's impossible. And that's the way that they rigged the system against him. So that I think that's what the the nurture side would say. And the argument is that the, the game is so rigged against him that eventually he has no chance but to turn cynical, mm-hmm. but to turn into a drow because they, they present him with no other option. You know, then it's will it will his his breeding, his stock overcome that? Or, you know, are all drow born with the ability to be better? But they get put into a system where, as a male drow, they had no chance. Yeah. I mean, knowing that the first book I read that had Drizzt in it was books after this one, and it wasn't in Menzo Baron's on, it's like, okay, like, he obviously makes it out, and he's obviously not a normal drow, but I feel like this is one of those, like, pivotal moments that's just like... He can go left, he can go right. Well, yeah. Well, it's like Malice is trying to force him one way, but I feel like it's probably going to have the opposite effect on him, where it's just like, this is how Drow are? No, I want no part of that, you know? I don't know. I don't know. Which that's where you think, too. Like, maybe if he was, uh, you know, Risen's son, that uh, he would just accept it, put his head down, bite the bit, and plow forward. Right. But uh, Zach Defane still can't, and uh, so far, neither can Drizzt. Cool. Well, thank you, Jeffrey, for that awesome um the drizzed let's move it on and talk about our favorite parts in the dim light reel the dim light reel it's where we cast darkness on our favorite parts of the chapter and dim light all of our favorite characters events descriptions and more for me this week my favorite part um was i mean probably one of the more intense parts of the chapter. Uh, it's the moment that Bjorkjok meets his demise, not because I enjoyed seeing poor Bjorkjok go through this situation, um, but knowing like knowing that he didn't stand a chance. Like I didn't I didn't like that, but because my it's my dim light because yet again we see this brutal nature of the drow coming out. So while Drizzt and Bjorkjok were fighting, Bjorkjok which, I mean, we're just going to have to keep bringing his name up because I just like saying his name. Yeah. Yuck, like, <laughs> I agree. He is now, you know, uh, shout out to Yuck, Yuck, my homie. <laughs> so while he was frozen in place, like they were they were fighting and then he was frozen by, was that Breeza? I think froze him in place. Um, so this is where we have the dancing little graphic, the NPC that you never thought was going to be a big part of the show that now yeah. is the unofficial mascot of the, no, no, he's not the, no, the he's official not. unofficial mascot of, <laughs> <laughs> of Driz done. Right. <laughs> so Driz knew it wasn't right to continue to fight. He obviously was much better than this, this, uh, drow, this, uh, goblin disguised as a drow. Uh, so he knew like, this isn't right, and now he's not moving. Like, what the heck is going on here? Malice said to Driz, Finish the strike! So, while Breeza was yelling, Maya's champion must be killed! Driz refuses, I cannot, and gets cut off. 
Malice yells, kill! And um, her words carry the weight of a magical command. So, which, if you know anything about the command spell in 5e, it requires a wisdom saving throw. Drizzt apparently... Now, I, I feel like I could have used this in the dungeon delve, but it was too much of my my dim light. So I had to use it as a dim light. Right. Anyway, um, uh, so Drizzt apparently saved on this initial wisdom saving throw uh, by concentrating with all of his mental strength, but his willpower ends up breaking on the second command. Uh, Drizzt's blade quickly cuts through Byachyach's ribs. And I feel like I'm spitting all over my mic when I say Byachyach. <laughs> uh his blade goes in through his ribs and finds his heart. So <clears throat> you know, when I read this chapter, I couldn't help but reflect on my own parenting skills. Uh so I'm nowhere close to being a perfect dad, right? Like no one is. Are you are you tying Byuck Yuck into parenting? <laughs> no, I, no, no, I, no. I'm here for this. Go ahead. I'm here for malice to Drizzt, okay? Ooh, so man. I am in no way a perfect parent. My son, and I don't know why this situation comes up, but my son, as you know, he's um, five years old. He's uh, a very picky eater. Uh, And he (laughs) he pretty much always has been. As soon as he was able to choose what he was able to put in his mouth, he just, he became extremely picky. And so early on, it was like, look, it's an apple. It's sweet. You'll like it. Like, just taste it. At least give it a chance. It's like, just try it. (laughs) And he would just, as soon as you ask him nicely, like, just try this apple. Tantrum. Just screaming. Nothing you could do. He had the advantage on wisdom saves when you ask nicely. (laughs) And so he wouldn't, he wouldn't even let, like, he wouldn't even lick it. He wouldn't try it at all. (laughs) So part of me as a, as an impatient parent just wanted to like, force that chunk of apple into his mouth just enough that his tongue touched it and he could actually taste it. And like saying this out loud makes me sound like a horrible parent, but just no, I didn't do that. (laughs) You know, it crossed my mind just like, Oh my gosh, I'm so angry at you for not trying this apple. But anyway, um, in that moment, if you could have tried the command spell, maybe would I have. Hmm. (laughs) So, but I mean, Trying to force your child to try an apple versus forcing your child to, like, kill someone. It's right there. Same, same, right? <laughs> and it's horrible. Like, yeah. that's just so crazy. Like, compared to Malice, I feel like I'm an awesome parent. <laughs> like, I'm a perfect parent. I'm trying to feed my child versus trying to get them to kill someone so i i just can't believe how brutal and just messed up the drow are you know and um so that really just i really got hung up on that scene that's why that's my dim light this week and uh you know i i just feel like driz needs to needs to get out of there asap (laughs) needs to go on a sojourn find himself in the woods yep you know just grow a little bit get out of there so anyway that's my dim light for this week what's yours here jeffrey well, for me, I wanted to examine a moment. Uh, I wanted to take a moment and examine the argument between Matron Malice and Zagnafane mm. as he pleads to keep Drizzt in the house and away from Menzel Baron, uh, Menzel Berenson. 
uh, earlier in the book, we saw Zagnafane argue for Driz to be sent to Melee Magthir because he didn't want him becoming a magic user and being tainted by the drow way of life. Mm -hmm. This argument, it, it allowed him to mentor his son in, a, in the way of weaponry, how to be a true warrior and form a bond that gave him hope. Suddenly now, though, he's arguing to keep Drizzt from going to Melee Magthir at all. Mm -hmm. He's trying to promise Matron Malice an even better warrior than the Academy could ever hope to produce. And this argument is an uphill battle from the beginning as Matron Malice sits high upon her throne, looking down on Zagnafane and surrounded by the iconography of the Spider Queen. Flanked by her daughters, mm -hmm. every inch of this room drips with the very things that Zack wishes to keep Drizzt away from. The trappings of Lolf and the proper drow society. Zachnafane sees his words have had little effect on Major Malice and continues to try to throw promises at her. Just, just two more short years, and he can polish this promising student into a swordsman that rivals the very man that stands before her. Malice looks at him coldly and says, He goes. Hmm. There's more to the making of a drow warrior than skill with weaponry. Drizzt has other lessons that he must learn. And that's, again, when you're talking about, like, the cold nature of uh, the parent role in Drizzt's life, like, the, the, the weird back and forth between Zack and, and, and Malice, you can see so much she's taking joy and just sticking this little dagger in there on him. Right. This is an intriguing line because everything that the matriarchy has tried to treat, teach Drizzt to this point is set to set aside his childlike naivety, his innocence, and join the scheming, bloodthirsty world of the drow. Embrace the chaos of Lolf to learn the lessons of treachery that Zachnafane knows will be heaped upon him. And then Matron Malice is showing no signs of bending to Zachnafane's plea, as she has in earlier instances in the book. She seems determined to have her plans followed and seen through without his interference. Mm -hmm. Zach explains that passion's what makes him different than the other drow warriors and Menzo Berenson, and this same passion will serve Drist even better as he's molded into the finest warrior this place has ever known. Matron Malice sends away everybody in the room besides herself and Zack. She leans forward in her throne, right? She's towering over him. She like you can feel her almost like leaning into like not whisper, but like speak softly and and like hardly at the same time, mm -hmm. right? And she goes, I have tolerated your blasphemous beliefs through these many years because of your skill with weapons. You have taught my soldiers well, and your love of killing Drow, particularly clerics of the Spider Queen, has aided the descent of House Doerden. I am not and have not ever been ungrateful, but I warn you now one final time that Drist is my son, not his sire's. He will go to the academy and learn what he must to take his place as the prince of House de Worden. If you interfere with what must be, Zagnafane, I will no longer turn my eyes from your actions. Your heart will be given to Lolf. Make your mouse has shown flashes of anger to this point. She's shown the ability to think ahead, to plan, to plot, and scheme in order to help House Dewarden, as well as herself. But this is the first time I feel like you can really see the iron nature of Matron Malice, right? Yeah. Like, I thought that there might be a little bit of love <laughs> for Zagnafane inside of her heart somewhere, that she treated him differently because of her attraction to him. But I feel like this is the moment you realize that he has only ever been a tool for her to use. Yeah. Like he's only a means to an end that is becoming harder and harder for her to justify and maybe tipping towards more being more of a nuisance than he's worth. And if she's willing to set aside the finest weapons master in Menzo Berenson, the sire of at least two of her children, where does her hunger for power and station end? <laughs> yeah. So I feel like 
this is probably... I feel like this is the angriest we've seen Malice. There, yeah. have, there have been times where she, like, blew up, right? That We've yeah. seen that, but I feel like this is a... This is it's like a whole different kind of cold. Yeah, like she's like too calm. Like like you said, like hovering over him, like speaking through her teeth, you know? Like, <laughs> it's like you know, when you're a little kid and your parents are yelling at you and you're like, oh, oh yeah. I'm good. I'm Yelling's good. fine. And somebody stops and goes, listen, I've had enough. And you're like, oh. Then you're like, okay, oh. all right. <laughs> Didn't mean it. Sorry. <laughs> so I feel like that's uh, scarier. That's definitely yeah. scarier. So I feel like she's being pretty serious here. I feel like she would act upon, you know, what she has said. Yeah, it's almost like she's like, look, give me a reason. Go right. ahead, punk. Yep. Give me a reason. Yeah. Great. Awesome. Great dim lights this week. Uh, let's see. Let's let's uh, go ahead and jump on into the dungeon delve. The Dungeon Delve, the part of the show where we link this chapter to our favorite tabletop RPG. Uh, my Dungeon Delve this week, there were so many that could be done. Um, but I wanted to focus on the boots that Drizzt was given. So in this chapter, Drizzt is given this pair of magical boots uh, <clears throat> Um as a confused Drizzt is being prepared for his test, Maya brings up a chest, or I guess the chest walks up on its own, right? Uh, she yep. opens it and then reveals... I should have done a dungeon delve on the chest. That would have been cool. <laughs> I shared something on Facebook for a picture of it, and the best thing I'd come up with was uh, it looked like a mimic. And the mimic okay, had the legs right. at the bottom and walks along. I was like, it's not exactly <laughs> the same thing, but I imagine it looks pretty close to Yeah, me. yeah. So, but no, that's not my dungeon delve. Mine is the black boots that Maya gets out of this chest, this chest and offers to Drizzt. So I just imagine that Drizzt is like gazing upon these boots, just like Ralphie and the Red Rider BB gun, just like oh. one of my favorite movies. <laughs> every year, still watch at least a little bit of it. Oh, I've, yeah, yeah, every Christmas time, got to throw that one in. So he eagerly puts these on. And Jeffrey, are you ready for another '80s movie reference? Oh yeah, <laughs> the boots magically fit to his feet, just like the Nikes in Back to the Future too. <laughs> I didn't read your notes, and that's exactly what was in my head. But I was like, "Oh, these are magic snug boots." You know what that's like? <laughs> <laughs> so, <clears throat> so these boots—that that is just to clarify—that is Back to the Future too, right? It's not yep. the first one, he, and it nope, wasn't the third one. When he actually yeah, yeah, goes yeah. to the future, because right. the third one is where they go into the they past go back into the eighteen hundreds. Yeah, <clears throat> I haven't seen that one in a long time. Uh, so. These boots are described to give the wearer the ability to move with absolute silence, which is like really cool, like kind of overpowering, I think. But um, on yeah, yeah. So it, it didn't take long for me to find these boots in the Dungeon Master Guide, uh, the 5e Dungeon Master Guide. Uh, it fit the description of um, uh, what, what was it called? The Boots of Elven Kind. They're found on page 155 of the Dungeon Master Guide. And, uh, you know, these boots, they, they sound identically, they sound identical to the boots described other than visual. Um, the picture okay. that, the picture that they have in the book is like, nah, you wouldn't catch a drow wearing those. They're like light brown leather with, 
you know, looked more like a wood elf type of thing rather than a drow. And drow wouldn't be caught dead in any kind of wood elf garb. They have a sense of fashion, I believe, is probably <laughs> way above. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so these boots are a wondrous item, which I didn't know what a wondrous item meant. So I had to look that up. Uh, it's just a fancy way of saying that anybody can use them. You don't have to have any kind of special, any kind uh-huh. of special training or anything. Um, that is wondrous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, they are uncommon in rarity, so you know, not rare. Um, so just as described in the chapter, when wearing the boots of Elvenkind, you make no sound while walking, regardless of the surface. So Jeffrey. If I were given a pair of these boots in real life, my first thought would be, let's try this out on something crazy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, like, what would you want to walk on or in with these boots first? I think I would have to, like, uh, you know, jump scare people. Like, you get somewhere near, <laughs> okay. like, uh, right. you know, like an observatory over the Grand Canyon or something. And you have a hard group of people who are looking over, and you're just like, dun, 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 dun. Boop. And, and it's like... Just- Jumps, yeah, yeah. Just to, just to have a part of that revelry in that moment, a little mischief maker. Yeah. Right, but you're just like on this gravel, and you're not making a sound. I, I don't know. Like my first thought is like, I need to test to see just how silent these boots are. Let's throw some eggshells on the floor and start walking, or like, or like start trying to tap dance your way down the center of the street. It's covered in like glass and marbles. <laughs> exactly. Um, or like when, um, in our, in our game a few sessions ago, when you guys were water walking, like I imagine when you're walking on water, it's, it's still, there's still a little bit of a splish splash right now. This isn't in real life, but, um, I mean, I don't think, but, um, so like with these boots while water walking, I don't know, there wouldn't be a splish splash. It would be like you're walking through a puddle on the pavement and making no sound like, it's pretty yeah, cool. You'd be able to sneak up in that ultimate. It's the ultimate like uh, cat burglar tool. Or like bubble wrap. But, uh, you know, in real life, I don't have the cat burglar tendencies, so <laughs> I'd have to jump scare people. Like, bubble wrap. Would you be able to pop bubble wrap? <laughs> well, yeah, but it'd be like little cones of silence around your feet. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah, that makes that would make sense. So. <laughs> Uh, Aside from being silent while walking, these boots also allow for advantage on dexterity stealth checks that rely on moving silently. So I guess like an enemy could still hear your armor as you're walking by. So it's not like you're going to going to automatically succeed on those checks. You, You just have advantage. So, you know, they could hear your armor or weapons clanging or something. Or That's even if you automatically give these shoes to the paladin or the dwarf. <laughs> Just to give them advantage. Right, exactly. Because they're wearing the heavy armor, so they have disadvantage on stealth. But now they have just a straight roll. So yep. Give them every advantage they can get. Cause exactly. They're yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that would normally be the end of a dungeon delve. But I wanted to go a little bit deeper into this here and just kind of like think about how could a DM introduce this item into the game? You know, it's one thing to just like have your party going down through a dungeon. They find a treasure chest. They open it. Hey, look what I found. And you know, um, that, that you can do that. You can totally do that. But as a DM, I always like to try to come up with a more, um, significant meaning for the item, like a, a way that, um, makes the item significant to the story. 
And so knowing these that these boots are elven kind, perhaps you could use them to hint toward the nature of the big bad in your game. And, you know, maybe the party was investigating a crime scene and one or both boots were found at the scene. Maybe there was like fly trap floors or something like sticky floors. And the elf left the boots behind. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> He's just like, you know what? I uh, respectfully take my shoes off. Oh, you know, I forgot something back there. It's like a Cinderella Shut. moment. The bad guy's like, oh, no, I got to go, and starts running, and the boot falls off. Oh, <laughs> and leaves it. <laughs> uh, so, you know, that's a possible uh, possibility. Another one, you know, perhaps each person in the party is uh, equipped with them. They were gifted them because they're going into a cave filled of blind creatures that rely on sight to find their prey. I thought that idea would be pretty cool. You mean on sound, yeah. Or yeah, rely on sound. They yeah. they're blind creatures. They rely on sound, right? Um, so I thought that would be like almost like the clickers in um, uh, shoot. What's the show? Last of Us. In the Last of Us, yeah. Oh yeah. man, those things creep me out. But to have yeah, like a so to have a, a like a a, a <laughs> blind or like a sound based campaign or sound based uh, uh, encounter would be really cool. Um, so yeah, so. That was about all I could, all the ideas I could come up with. But hey, anyone that's listening, um, if you can think of any any other ways that you could incorporate the these um, magical boots into your story, like seamlessly or in a way where the boots are kind of like highlighted in the story, just hit us up on the Discord. Let us hear. Let us hear your ideas. Maybe someone wants to include that in one of their um, one of their sessions someday. That'd be really cool. Heck yeah. Yeah. So for me, the part that I wanted to delve into is uh, the magic that's used when Matron Malice changes poor little Yuck Yuck into a drow warrior. I know that it probably seems a little odd that I'm referring to a goblin with sympathy, but he truly had no idea what he was getting himself into. The spell only gave the appearance of a drow warrior, but none of the abilities that would have at least given him like the smallest of chances in this duel with Drizzt. So when I was looking through the list of spells... Honestly, I thought that this was going to come up with like a, you know, like a stretch or a homebrew of like the disguise self spell. Mm-hmm. And then I came across a level five illusion spell called Seeming. Hmm. Seeming can be used by wizards, bards, and sorcerers. It's got a range of 30 feet and can be cast on as many creatures as you can see within range. So anybody within that 30 feet, be a bad guy, be a party member. Hmm. If the creature is unwilling, then they may succeed in a charisma saving check in order to remain unaffected. So that's where being a bard would probably be very helpful. (laughs) Yeah, charisma. Yep. (laughs) So this spell can make you like one foot shorter or one foot smaller or one foot taller, but you can't actually change the body type. So it says you have to choose from a form that has like the same basic arrangement of limbs. If they're bipeds, they still need to be pipeds. And yeah, yeah. So I'm not sure that this spell is going to be the most useful in the middle of like a battlefield, right? I mean, we essentially see how that plays out in this chapter. <laughs> right. But I think it, it, it'll work on the appearance, right? Because it works on the appearance, the armor, the weapons, and the equipment. And it lasts for eight hours. Wow. Yeah. The spell is an illusion. So it's not going to hold up to any physical in- uh, inspection. Okay. Right? So if you put like a little hat on, uh, you know, like our yuck, little flip-flop character. If you were to go up there and try to knock the hat off his head, your hand's going to pass right through it. Huh. And you also like, so you can't like make yourself, you can make yourself appear physically skinnier, but you won't be able to slide between an opening that's 
right smaller than your actual body dimensions that, you are still who you were before that illusion that would look really funny if someone was like someone that was really hefty was <laughs> illusioned really skinny and they're trying to fit through this crevice and you're like waiting for them to go through and you're like come on right. go ahead and they're, they're like, like oh. they're walking in place like still loading <laughs> So for me, I think that this would work really well on a party, right? So maybe you have to sneak into an enemy encampment. Oh, yeah. Right? So you disguise yourself as the adventuring party as scouts returning from the perimeter. Yeah. So, you know, the, you got to role play your wake up. The, the scouts that you just took out, that would be perfect. Yeah. Or that you slipped around, depending on like how That's fast true. you got to get true. in and out. So if you know if, they, if they're like giant orcs and you're a bunch of halflings, maybe you didn't take them out. Maybe you're just right. taking advantage of that. So, That's know, true. That, That's true. The size difference wouldn't work, but... I digress. So you'd have to role play your way through it, but your appearance, your equipment, everything that you would be using, your your weapons would look like they're supposed to for the encampment. You can change all of that. It looks identical to the enemies, and it should pass by without having to worry about a stealth check with a heavy, uh, heavily armored paladin. Hmm. Is there any interesting ways that any of you guys can think of to use it? Again, make sure you throw it on our Discord. Come on out, leave a comment. Demite Squad, go back and forth over it. Can you think of any fun, any fun ways, Justin? Man, I mean, you pretty much hit on the obvious ones. Uh, changing the party so that you can easily sneak through an area. I remember, what was the? There was a spell that Sarah used to sneak you guys through a goblin encampment. Where she was. Well, that's when she disguised self because she turned was herself into the self, goblin. Right, it wasn't. And it was like the uh, but... the Star Wars trope where, like, you know, Han right. and Wookiee. They're all of a sudden like, I have hey, these I'm prisoners. prisoners. And... Yep. Yeah, but I mean that that's the obvious one. Could you? I guess you could always like change yourself into something that looks a little more threatening. Of course, you're again limited to um, being like if you're a biped then you can turn yourself into a biped. But um, what is it? Ice devils are a little too big, right? So unless you're already like eight feet tall because they're like not, but yeah, um, you know, you could change yourself into something that's a little more intimidating to scare off the enemy. Um, I wonder if you could, since it requires a charisma saving throw to resist, Maybe you could cast it on enemies and get them confused. All of a sudden, now they like you can you change them into something that looks threatening, and now they start attacking each other. Okay, uh, that's interesting. Yeah, I like that. So, that's what I think is fun, especially when we take a look at these things with D anD D. Is just coming up with the different ways of you know ingenuity. Well, like, how do you overcome those obstacles? Yeah, well, that's what's awesome. I mean, I can all day just try to dream up how you guys are going to approach an encounter. And then you guys always surprise me <laughs> and come up with the craziest ways to get through. And I'm just like, was not planning on that. <laughs> <laughs> Great. There goes all of my pre-work. Just Thanks throw lot, all this out. <laughs> What's this? What's all that shredding in the background? <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> All right. Behind the DM screen stays behind the DM screen. (laughs) Or in the shredder. (laughs) All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. So thank you for listening. And remember that if you like the show, make sure to give us a five star rating. And hey, something new. If you really like the show, there's a link at the end of the podcast, uh, podcast description that allows you to throw us a buck, five, even 10 
Uh, Jeffrey and I are hoping to start ramping up production here, making things look a little more professional, hopefully deliver some higher quality content. You see this whole blurred thing going on in my background. You know, this is a picture of my grandparents here. I figured I don't need to broadcast that. Um, you know, green screens. You know? They're actually out of focus the whole time. Bad camera. <laughs> it's a bad camera, yeah, which that's another thing we could get, right? So anyway instead of look at we're taking photos of bigfoot <laughs> so we're just looking to hopefully deliver some higher quality content here so anything that you're comfortable throwing at us um just you know we're we're intending on dumping anything right back into this podcast so yeah i mean to reassure you we're not a super pack right you know me and justin we both have jobs we aren't trying to make a living off of this we're just trying to make a road show out of it unless could could we make a road show out of it Maybe. I would do that. <laughs> That'd be fun. <laughs> but, you know, like, as we continue to grow in the scale of this podcast, the providers make it a little easier to interact with our audience and hopefully build the show to be a, a little bit bigger. If any of you want to actually help and be a part of that, we love it. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So, anyway, always um, remember that um, we want you to get the most out of this podcast, so make sure you're picking up a copy of the book and reading along with us. Don't have any lights in your house? You're too afraid to actually read when it's a light outside? Well, you know what? You can pick up an audiobook and listen to it in the dark, during the middle of the night, during your commute, when you're trying to look busy at work, or maybe <laughs> when you're practicing your warrior training at the gym. Right? But when you've read chapter 10, shoot us an email at trisdunright at gmail.com or log into the Discord, join in on the discussion, become a member of the Dim Light Squad. Remember hearing from you is the dim light of our day. Oh, man, Jeffrey, that's great. I love it. <laughs> all right, all, it's been a blast, but now it's time to say goodbye. You know, we have made it a third of the way through the book, and I think now it's time to boogie. So to everyone who tuned in the podcast, all the people who are watching on the YouTube, taking the time to ogle us, say hello, farewell, play fair, be well. <laughs>